Oh, yes. We're going to be talking about the Word of God tonight. We probably always talk about it. Nice to see some things that uh, we have to back up the fact that this is truth. If you're going to base your whole life and all of eternity, it's got to be something solid, right? If you're going to stake all of your eternity on this, it's got to be truth. So I think it would be absolutely tragic if we spent all of our lives on on a path that we thought was to heaven and then to find out too late that we were wrong. Wouldn't that be a tragedy? Sad to say that's the way that many people will be that uh, have not trusted in Christ, but uh, they, they've staked their lives on their own thoughts their own actions. I guess the question really uh, is posed to a lot of people, well, how can I know this is true? How can we be sure that uh, it's not just some kind of collection of writings from Jewish men, old Jewish men that go back 2,000 years and beyond that? Um, These guys put something together and uh, called it Scripture. Uh, how do we know? You know, just a bunch of Jewish guys uh, didn't just put it together just for fun. They wanted to do that. How, how do we know that we've been interpreting the Bible correctly? You know, as the church has been around, how, how do we know what they have is, is truth? Um, evangelical Christians uh, say that we can know the meaning of Scripture. Now, granted, there are a lot of differences on certain. Passages of the Bible, but as a whole, the body of Christ definitely agrees on a lot of doctrines. And uh, how can we know that those things are true? Those are the things that are the uh, basic fundamentals of the faith that term us as Christians. And uh, then if you say that the Bible is the authority and it is the truth, then there's going to be some people going around to say that you are too dogmatic and you're arrogant. <laughs> Because of that, uh, they'll say, well, if this is the only authority that we have, then they'll say, well, when you take that kind of view, that's that's divisive. You know? It has to be rightly interpreted, though. Not just the interpretation that I think is correct. Right. It has to be according to what agrees with uh, Scripture and, and many other rules of interpretation. Yeah. We just can't make it up and make it say what we want to say. And that's what, what can be done definitely with Scripture. We know that. It is the the best interpreter of itself. Yeah. So if you think the thought's there and you find it another another passage, you have to make sure that understanding it then. Well, um... Peter, we know that he's already mentioned that he's about ready to die. And he wants to make sure that there's a sure foundation for the people that he's writing to. So even after that he's gone, those false teachers that are just everywhere, and they were already plaguing the churches, that they would have such a solid foundation that this revealed Word of God would be something they would uh, draw upon. And uh, being the Old Testament scriptures and then the apostles were writing New Testament uh, it was coming together at that time but we know that all of scripture is focused upon Jesus Christ and when everything comes back down to it that's that's the focus that's where everything is pointing at and you, know, you see it in the Old Testament and then you see it in the New Testament they complement each other when we looked at verses 16 through 18 last week in uh, chapter 1 we saw that um, the apostles, Peter, including himself, along with the other apostles, were not following some kind of cleverly devised tales. Remember that phrase? Mm-hmm. Cleverly devised tales. That's what the, the false teachers are using, making up their own. But he's, he, he's saying that we're talking about the very power, the very glory of Jesus Christ, the very Jesus Christ himself. He's at the heart of it. And, of course, he used the uh, experience at the Mount of Transfiguration and showing that Jesus has this glory, this majesty 
definitely a glimpse of what what is uh, to come as far as when Christ comes back and and, and with all that glory for uh, eternity. So there was an apostolic witness that Peter is really <clears throat> trying to emphasize. He is an apostle, along with the other ones that were uh, with Jesus and seen the risen Lord. And well, an eyewitness is is valuable. You know, in a court today, when you have eyewitnesses, multiple, two or three, uh, then you have something that is valid. And that was one leg of the foundation of our faith because an eyewitness tells what they saw, what they heard. Peter had one of the most magnificent ones that he could have along with James and John. The other leg of that is where we get into uh, the section of 19 through 21, and it's the prophetic word made sure, made more sure, the certainty. The certainty of the, the very Word of God. So we know that the experience that they had is is from God. It's amazing. It, it confirms. It, it clarifies the Old Testament uh, as far as the Messiah and you know about who He is. And of course, He's coming back and He's going to judge um, the wicked and He's also going to come in glory for the ones who are His, um, you know, His redeemed people. So Peter is saying you can trust the apostles. They were there. They were eyewitnesses. And, of course, they, they are inspired then to pin this down. So they personally experienced the very glory of Christ and they made things known the way that things were. They told it the way it was. So they were eyewitnesses. Peter is simply saying you're not getting second-hand information here. This is not just coming from somebody that heard of somebody else telling it. These guys were there. They saw it. They felt it. They heard it. He's saying you're getting first-hand information from the eyewitnesses themselves. So that's a pretty good verification. I think that's that's uh, amazing. That's a supernatural experience. But there's also supernatural revelation, and uh, that's where 19 through 21 comes in, and and it also attests to the very validity of Scripture as a word of God. So you put the uh, the experience of the eyewitnesses along together um, with the Bible. It's affirming that it's that it's true. It, it, and it just doesn't depend upon eyewitnesses, though. We have the revealed Word of God that uh, Holy Spirit intended on. And, and to record all of this down as far as the New Testament is concerned, all the writings that the apostles have, in effect, are really the revelation of God Himself. He's revealing Himself to us today through the Word of God that was written by men thousands of years ago. So you have firsthand eyewitnesses, and then they are under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to pin this down to give us supernatural revelation so we can experience uh, God through the living Word of God. Pretty amazing thing what God has done in, in saying, hey, I want you to know about me. Let's uh, have a word of prayer. Father, we thank You. Thank You for Your truth. It definitely is a glimpse of Your glory every time we open up Your book and we realize that You have revealed Yourself to Your people. And Your Holy Spirit enlightens us as we learn further. We, we, we want to know You. We want to know You more and more. Uh, we can't have enough of You. And Your Word is sufficient, effective, and determinative, authoritative, sufficient so much in our lives that as we, uh, as we look into it tonight, Help us to be able to um, understand how important it has been that you have shown yourself to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we go to this uh, verse 19, 20, 21. Let's go ahead and read that. So we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. 
solid foundation. Solid foundation we have. The literal Greek order of this, and we have more sure the prophetic word. More sure than what? I guess in some senses it could be maybe more sure than just experience that they had all the way. It's a glorious thing. Don't want to downplay it at all because it's a major importance here. These two go hand in hand. But it's nice to know that we have following right up with that is this written Word of God that we get to read. And it's a valid. I think it's a genuine experience that they had, but we have this reliable source also called the Word of God. And uh, so he starts off with the word we. Okay? You might have so. We have the prophetic word. But we have. We. Uh, I think he's talking, and in, in not only the apostles here, but I think it spreads much further out to all of them and to us today, right now. All the way up through, to, through the church ages. Here we are. And we have this word of God. We're part of that we. Right in with the saints of old. All of us. And the prophetic word, prophetic word, uh, prophet, uh, propheticon is something that is uh, proclaimed. Um, logon is the word. I think, Bob, you might have been asking last week if this, uh, the, uh, so we have a prophetic word. Mm-hmm. I think you were asking if, is that the word logos or is it. Uh, um, Rhema, I think there's also a laleo, but rhema is, uh, is the word that is spoken out, like the words that are coming out of my mouth here, that's rhema. Uh, this is uh, logos, uh, or the logos word, in that sense. Uh, that's the uh, very kind of like, a, you think, a revealing of God himself. Now, this is inspired scripture. So we have the prophetic word. This is the scripture that is uh, come from God. And you think of the Old Testament and you think, okay, it's pointing to Christ. And in the Old Testament, you have the sufferings and the glory of Christ all throughout the Old Testament that are mentioned there. It's amazing how many people didn't really realize about the sufferings of Christ. They knew about the glory. They knew about this glorious kingdom that He is to bring in. But they just couldn't get the fact that He was to suffer. And of course, that was found throughout the Old Testament. Let's look in Luke just to start this off as it talks about things that were revealed in the Old Testament about Christ. And this uh, is the section where you have the Emmaus disciples. Probably one of your guys' favorite stories. Everybody likes that where Jesus is walking with them after the resurrection. And at first, they don't even know who He is. And it says in verse 27, Luke 24, then beginning with Moses, Moses started with the section called the law in the Old Testament, and that's Genesis. Right on there, you can think of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy with Moses and with all the prophets. Then he's talking about the whole section of writings of the Old Testament. And he started with the with the Moses. You think he started could have started right there in Genesis chapter 3. He could have started in chapter 1, verse 1, <laughs> I guess. With all the prophets, Moses, he explained, he expounded to them the things concerning himself in all the Scriptures. There's the teacher of all the teachers. This is the Word of God right before them. The living, the living Word. And uh, so when you see that, it, we see the Old Testament, this uh, or this prophetic, um, propheticon, this preaching of, of Him or proclaiming of Him is uh, found there in inspired Scripture. And when you drop down to verse 44... Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. That is the entire scripture that was written at that time. What we know as the Old Testament. The law, the prophets, the Psalms. And he says, 
it was written about me and it had to be fulfilled. Can you imagine how exciting that had to have been? Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Has he ever opened your mind to understand the Scripture? Without him opening up those Scriptures to us, we would never be able to understand these things that are of God. To open their minds, to understand the Scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written. I like that. Thus it is written. Thus saith the Lord. That the Christ would what? Suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in His name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So, he opened up the Old Testament and started, because they, they just couldn't get it that he would have to suffer and die and resurrect. And here it is, he explains all of those passages. When you think of, uh, in the Old Testament, he, he talked about the prophets. I would have to think he would have explained maybe a little bit of Isaiah 7.14. Maybe where he's talking about the virgin birth. Be born of a virgin. Now that is a fundamental of the Christian faith. That Jesus was born uh, and incarnated. He came in the flesh. Born of a virgin. A miraculous thing. That's an amazing story, isn't it? Well, that's a prophecy that's found in Isaiah. In Genesis 49, um, sometimes you, uh, you, you'll hear that he's from the tribe of Judah. He will be from the tribe of Judah. Um, in 2 Samuel, he's called the son of David. That's where David comes into play. And for the next thousand years, they think of this king that's coming son of David, the Davidic line. So from the tribe of Judah is from um, the Davidic line. Born of a virgin. We know Micah 5.2 says that he was to be born in a particular place. Bethlehem. Right? And we just studied in um, Mark just uh, what a week or two ago about him coming in on the foal of a donkey. Right? I mean, just little details like that, just a few scriptures. You know, we could go on and on. You can think of Psalm 22, the details about his uh, death. Uh, we get the burial, the resurrection. All that's in Isaiah 53. I'm sure that he had to open those scriptures up to him. Isaiah 53 is a standout passage in all of the Bible. Can you imagine hearing the great teacher, the teacher of all, explaining who He is through His Word? Whew. Yes? I know that they're trailing off a little bit from where you're going, but how many prophecies were there just concerning Him that were fulfilled? And they were all fulfilled. There's supposed to be over over 300 of those. In the Old Testament, that are, and there's probably more, but it, most of them will refer to those those 300. And of course, the whole thing is pointing, but these are direct passages that, as you look at those, you uh, it can't really be uh, argued about. And of course, we know if I mean, how could just two or three of these come true just for one person? That I mean, the odds are unbelievable. I think it's ten to the seventeenth power that eight would come true. Ten to the seventeenth power. No, not a, that means not a chance. Yeah, the, the fifty-three goes all the way. The suffering servant, and you you get you get the story, you get the gospel, you get the death, burial, resurrection there uh, in Isaiah fifty-three. I mean, if you didn't have anything else. Uh, that you could keep except for one chapter in the Bible. That's one I would, uh, I would want to keep from the Old Testament. It is, it's so beautiful. And as for the uh, the apostles, it's it's hard to overemphasize. I think their regard for the Old Testament. One of their most powerful arguments for the truth of Christianity was the argument from prophecy 
when we say prophecy, we're talking about this, the very scriptures here. And of course, when you when you deal with prophecy, that's when we think of prophecy. A lot of times, we think of things that are going to come, tr- you know, true or come, uh, you know, God tells the future, and that's part of prophecy. But uh, prophecy is is forthtelling, forthtelling. So it's more than just the future. It can be that, and that's one of the greatest arguments that Christians have is the the f- telling of the future things that were actually fulfilled. And whether it be specifically about Christ or um, other things that have come true, and destroying of cities and nations and nations rising, and all those kind of things are there too. Uh, so uh, we have everything on our side. We have uh, not a blind faith, but a faith that we can stand on. Very foundational. Powerful arguments. We have powerful arguments for the truth. Look in uh, Romans 16.26. But now is manifested, and by the Scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to obedience of faith. Hey, doxology here. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever. Amen. Well, now it's manifested. Now it's been shown. It was, a, you know, there were things that were um, like mysteries before. Now it's been revealed that the Scriptures have been fulfilled in, in Christ. And uh, that this would be made known to, uh, to the Gentiles, to all the nations, to everybody. All of Scripture. And look in... Uh, that's 26. 1626. Um, so all of Scripture, not not just the Old Testament, but we can put them together. The, if you look in Second Peter chapter 3, 1 and 2, <coughs> this is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you. What was the first letter? First Peter. <laughs> I'm writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? He said that in chapter 1 too, didn't he? That you should remember... Well, that sounds familiar too, doesn't it? We've been talking about that quite frequently. You should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. So, there you have the Holy Prophets, the words spoken beforehand. There you have the Old Testament. And now the commandment of the Lord and Savior, which are actually spoken or written down by who? The Apostles. Peter being one of them, right there. So, all of these are dealing with Scripture about the Word of God, knowing that we are on a sure foundation. And this is not just some ancient book written by just a bunch of people that just started putting their own little thoughts together. We know that in a, in Romans 15, verse 8. I should have gone to this while we were in chapter 16, shouldn't I? Fifteen eight. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the forefathers. On behalf of the truth of God, the Word of God, to confirm. Christ confirms the promises that were given for all that time that we see that's in the Old Testament Scriptures. Old Testament. New Testament. Confirmation of the Old Testament prophecies. New Testament just confirms the uh, the Old Testament. And of course, the New Testament, uh, it uh, reveals that Old Testament that seems to be rather difficult in places. The many prophecies that were filled in Christ's first coming and recorded in the New Testament are the confirmation of the Old Testament prophecies. Many times you'll see where it was written. 
and uh, specific prophecy of the Old Testament. New Testament writers confirm the Old Testament prophecies so that the New Testament is the written, sure word and it reaffirms not only the first coming, but that He will come again. This is not just it, but He will be here. The more sure word of God. So all Scripture points to what? Or who? Christ, the Messiah. And he's whenever he says in this passage that we're looking at tonight, the prophetic made word made more sure, he's referring to all of inspired revelation, just like Paul is referring to all inspired revelation, you know, in Timothy, where it says all scripture is inspired by God. The word is a more sure word. A more sure word. And so Peter's saying, Hey, as good as our experience is the prophetic word just seals it. While it's true that they saw the majesty, the confirming of the Old Testament prophecy, it's a, a sure thing. And there are some, uh, I think, people today that base their experience rather than on the uh, the most important thing, the, the Scripture. And that is dangerous to um, put everything on your own experience. We have to have the objective truth of the Word of God to test those experiences. The experiences are good, but they, uh, they're they not anything on par with the Word of God. Uh, now, Peter's uh, experience, is, of course, is another thing, because that's, that's a confirming to him and, and all. So Peter's saying here, okay, because of this importance, and this is the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention, to pay attention. You'd do well to do this. Take heed to the Word. Take heed. Act upon it. Believe it. Live it. Pay attention. Um, as far as um, what John Calvin said on this, the question is not whether the prophets are more trustworthy than the Gospel, because some people would say, well, what he's saying there, the more sure Word of God is the like the Old Testament or... Um, or the, the Gospel is more true than the Old Testament. So we have the New Testament versus the Old Testament. It's not verses. They're on the same side. But he says it's simply that since the Jews were in no doubt that everything the prophets taught came from God, it's no wonder that Peter says their word is more sure. What he's saying there, that uh, he's not comparing the Old versus the New, but the Jews never doubted whether the the prophets, what they had taught, came from God. Now, of course, at the time of Christ, there were the Sadducees who uh, were um, doubting a lot of things, such as the resurrection and such, and only certain parts of the Bible did they, they believe. But uh, as a whole, the the Jews, no doubt, knew that the Word of God came from God. They didn't bicker about that. Even as far as they had gone in their traditions and such. It wasn't quite their authority as as it had been. Matter of fact, the traditions had become their authority, but they knew that uh, this was something that came from Him. So he says, pay attention to the Word. Um, shortly he's going to be talking about false teachers. He says, you're going to be exposed to them. Like it or not, they're always going to be around. And... Sometimes they're going to be introducing subtle error that is very hard to pick up sometimes. Sometimes it's not so discernible. So be paying attention to what is truth versus something that comes alongside it and looks like truth but is really not it. I like this next phrase that he has. Pay attention as to, just like a lamp, as to, or like, a lamp shining in a dark place. A lamp in a dark place. It's a fascinating word, that dark place. It at one time meant that it was a dry or parched kind of place. Okay? When you have etymology, you have a study of words and how they got to where they got. Then it... Uh, came along and it meant dirty. So you have a dry place, dirty place. It's kind of negative overtones in this uh, for this word dark. That's what we're looking at. 
Finally, it came to mean murky. And I don't know if your translation has murky. It probably has dark. Is that what most of you are seeing? Which is a good translation. It really is. We understand that. Uh, but in seeing how words have evolved and such, uh, and then ultimately, it has come to that meaning of just dark. And that's why our translations have that. To navigate in this world that is dark or murky. Let's, let's go back and look at some of those dry, parched, dirty, murky, dark world. We're trying to navigate through it. And we have night lights in this dark world. You're getting the picture. There's a word picture here that Peter's is getting forth. Usually, when you think when you think the light of the world, all the light is is uh, just all over the world and everything, and we're just kind of walking through it. But it, it's a dark world. It's murky. When you think of murky, what, what do you think of? Very muddy, uh, not clear. Yeah, unsure of. Then you think of Psalm 119.105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We're going through a very dark, murky world. It's very dark. And it's kind of like we have flashlights to keep us on the path because we don't light up the whole thing. We are the light of the world, but most of the world, even though it it says that we're in the darkness, they don't know they're in the dark. But we know how dark it is. When you look at the news and all the things that have been going on during this particular day and all the things that go uh, on in Washington, D.C., as they now kind of... uh, argue back and forth on what they're going to do with this insurance thing. All sorts of different kind of ideas are coming up politically. That's right. You've got to keep those things recharged. <laughs> keep them charged up. It's a dark world. So the Scripture is kind of like a nightlight, if you know what I mean. A nightlight is enough to be able to, to see. Uh, it. This is a temporary type thing. Because there's going to be something that's visibly going to be bright all the time. So we're in a dark place. As to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns. So it's a sense that this is going to be a dark place for only a certain amount of time. It's a temporary thing. Because there's an eternal thing waiting. Because he says, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. When when we come to know Christ, the Bible is our light. Keep charging them up. Keep those batteries. I get a I got a phone and I've got uh, you, and you guys got the phones. You got uh, other kind of things. You constantly have to keep charged up. You have to plug them into the wall and stuff, right? Those rechargeable batteries and such. But you got to keep doing that. Um, Bible is our light. It shows us how to live, how to please Him in view of who He is, and that He's going to be coming back as He talks about uh, the morning star, the, the day dawning and, and such. There is a sense of that happened to us. But He's writing to believers here. He's writing to believers and um, there's a day dawning. And He's already talked about a preview of a kingdom. He's going to be talking about the second coming uh, throughout this epistle. That meant a lot to Peter because he wa- he can't wait to see Christ again, you know. But um, the day dawning, gladness, hope, right? That's this is this day. Our, our redemption draws nigh. In Luke twenty one thirty eight twenty eight, we we look to the time that Christ comes back. But to unbelievers, it'll be a time of terror and fear and awful regret for anybody who's rejected Christ. So we have like a solar light. We get so much from the sun that if we don't keep the sun. Up, we can get charged back up. We don't have a light to dim. Yeah. Yeah, we can we can dim pretty easily if we don't stay in this. That I think 
Peter's encouraging them on about this. You're going to need it, he says. Practically need it. There's such a thing as light deprivation. What happens to people when yeah. they're deprived of light? They get, they get kind of kind of dark. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's depressing, isn't it? Sink into it. Yeah. Wintertime, you know, we have less light now, you know. Some people go uh, go to work in the dark and go home in the dark. And, uh, well, you do that day after day for a few months and, and it, it is a little depressing. It's a, it's a good analogy to really the spiritual things. In Romans thirteen twelve. 12, um, do this, verse 11 says, knowing the time, that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. <laughs> there's there's the, we have been saved, are being saved, but we will be saved. And so we're coming closer. We're, we're closer now to the return of Christ than we were yesterday. <laughs> but the night is almost gone. There's that darkness metaphor and the day is near so he says in the meantime let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light i think this is the area that struck augustine and, uh, let us behave properly as in the day not in carousing and drunkenness not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality not in strife and jealousy that verse 13 is where augustine was at but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Take and read. Those kids were playing the game. Take and read. Take and read. Take it up and read it. And so he read it. And so there we go. Now we have a lot of theology that we have gotten from Augustine that has helped us be able to understand the deep things of God. Well, the morning star, the day dawning, the day is, is, is going to become one of these days this darkness will be gone until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. We have Christ who lives in our hearts. We have the Holy Spirit. And so some, you know, we, could, we can go ahead and interpret that and, and bring in the sense of you know, it's salvation, it's getting closer to the Lord, but I think there is this same sense that one of these days this darkness, this murkiness, this dryness, this dirty darkness that we're in is going to be over. And these lights that we have, we will have something much better. The morning star. And you know what the word for morning star is? Do you see it there on your sheets? We have an English word called that, and that's a Greek word. So you're reading a Greek word that is an English word. It's they have a long O there. They pronounce it that. Phosphorus. Phos. Oh. What do you think of? Light. Photo, right? We all know when you take a picture that it deals with light. Um, photosynthesis. photosynthesis. Photo all over the place is dealing with light. Here, this is uh, an interesting term in the sense that that's something that lights up. And you can see it in the dark, right? Phosphorus grenades. Fire grenades, flesh. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't the phosphorus light so bright that it's blinding bright? I think it's interesting because that's intense. If you parallel that, this kind of light, I mean, you're talking about a very bright, 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 so bright. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a powerful light. that uh, goes up against that dark place that's found in verse nineteen, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, phosphorus. That's right. 
what are those things that kids have, like during the 4th of July and such? What are those made of? Are those phosphorus? Well, when like when you go up to the Capitol and such, and they'll be carrying these things, and it's very illuminating. You know, it's. Uh, oh, you guys have seen light it? sticks. Light sticks. Well, what are they made of? Yeah, yeah, I think that is some. Is there phosphorus in there? Would that be possible? Something, something that, or something like that? Yeah. Kind of but shines they have to on the top. to uh, activate it. Yeah. Just snap it or whatever. So, those things that can hurt you. (laughs) Um, This literally means, in in the Greek, uh, light bringer. And something more fascinating, it was the name of a planet called Venus. Matter of fact, you can see Venus. I think uh, even tonight, or if it's, I don't know if it's probably cloudy or something, but it ha- we have been seeing it. So you see it quite frequently. Yeah, I think they call it the evening star. Well, sometimes the evening, sometimes morning. Yeah, it depends on when you're looking at it. Yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> um, if you're in astronomy, the the planet that precedes the morning sun is actually that's Venus, and of course that's what what you're saying there. Before the full-blown glory of the day of Christ, the morning star himself will come. That's Christ. He is the morning star. As a matter of fact, he is the star. Of course, when you think of star, we're, we're, we're talking metaphors here, right? But go back. Let's, let's trace this back all the way back in the Old Testament. Since, since, since we're talking about the, uh, the law and the prophets and such. And you hear this around Christmas time a lot. Numbers 24, as a uh, prophetic verse dealing with the Messiah. And number 20, Numbers 24, 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob. Now that's revealing, isn't it? Now in the Old Testament, you know, especially back to the law, there, you know, you don't see a lot of plain passages. And of course, that's rather vague at that time. But they're talking about him coming from the tribe of Jacob, or you know, uh, he's considered to be a star, a, a scepter. Uh, he's going to come and and crush, uh, tear. To, there's going to be judgment. So, but it's something they look to. But it wasn't. At that time, it wasn't near at that time, but that's kind of uh, the idea there. Now, that's way back in Numbers, back at the time of Moses. Now, let's, let's take it all the way into Revelation, into chapter uh, 228. We're talking about this morning star. He says, uh, Christ is going to rule with a rod of iron. Vessels of the potter are broken to pieces. I have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. The bright morning star. We're talking about one of these days we will have him in his fullest. We have him now where he has us. But one day, in the absolute fullest revelation, and we turn back to chapter 22, right near the end of Revelation. 22, verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things. To testify. A witness. (laughs) For the churches, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Wow. I'm the root. I'm coming from David. I'm from the Davidic line. I am that king, the bright morning star. We live in darkness. We live in a murky very dead world. Dirty. 
filthy. But we have these night lights and they keep us on the path. One of these days, we're not going to be dealing with just the night lights. The Word of God is going to be lasting forever. But it's going to be in the sense that we're going to be in the presence of the Holy God, in the presence of Christ, where then the Scripture will be alive to us. And, of course, the Word of God is that, but the revelation now to us will be much more than we've ever had. So, what does Peter mean when he says that the morning a star arises in your hearts? He's not just talking salvation there. He's talking to believers. Peter, is he believed in the objective, bodily, personal return of Christ. And he probably means that right now. In the darkness, the prophetic word shines to illumine our path. Right now, we're in, in a darkness. But when Jesus, the morning star returns, and I like what um, Carmelo was just saying a while ago, the brightness of that, uh, of, of that morning star, the light of His presence, is going to make what we have now nothing compared to what that will be. And and it's amazing what we have. I'm not diminishing the Word of God because <laughs> that's the highlight of all this. We won't any longer have to be studying and trying to figure out some of this prophetic Word now as glorified people, we will understand Him like we do not understand now. And He is the living Word. And of course, the Word lives on forever. Don't get me wrong there. But it's just like we just have a little bit now. And that's all we need. We, it is more than sufficient, isn't it not? Um, there's a guy by the name of Peter Davids. He wrote this. Just a little sentence here. But I think it's pretty meaningful and sheds a little bit of light, if I can say it on this. One treasure, a love letter. Oh, wait, sorry. Take that back. One treasures, a love letter, while the beloved is absent. But once he or she is present, the letter is laid aside and exchanged for the personal contact. Kind of get the idea. Why would you? Or, or you could have a picture of somebody, and you'll be looking, you know, at their picture, and you go, "Oh boy, I can't wait to see them." And then when they're there, you don't say, "Oh hi, how are you doing?" And keep looking at their picture. <laughs> it's right there. <laughs> and and like I say, we're not delineating the word of God at all. Matter of fact, we we are putting it up uh, and thinking highly of it. But um, the lamp, the word that we have here in this darkness is nothing compared to the fact that whenever that morning star arises and the sun is Christ, until the day of dawning, when that day star comes, rising in your hearts, it dawns in the full blazing light. We haven't seen that glory. Peter, James, and John saw a glimpse of that glory for a few moments. Can you imagine? I want more of that. Having to go back (laughs) <laughs> down, down that mountain and what they just experienced and to go back through the world again? Huh? <laughs> well, Peter kept looking for this kind of thing because he knows that's what's going to happen. Of course, as he's writing and as he's inspired to put this down along with his experience that he had, I'm sure that uh, you know he, he definitely is thinking of that blazing glory well, you know, we need the Scripture bad, don't we? As we live in a dark world, Scripture is the ultimate truth. It's uh, something that is sure. Christ coming, that will dissipate all the darkness. And uh, that full blazing glory of that kingdom arrives and banishes the night and the darkness and the dirtiness of us all. And uh, way back, whenever... And the Old Testament said that the Messiah would be a star back in Numbers. Then you see it 
made very clear in the book of Revelation, don't you? The morning star. But until the morning star comes and the kingdom dawns in that fullest sense, we have this nightlight. <laughs> we have this, and boy, aren't you glad of this sure word, this light that gets us through a dark world. So, whenever he comes, any kind of doubt, it's going to be dissipated. Any kind of uncertainty that are in our hearts, going to be dissipated. Any kind of cloudiness, going to be dissipated. This is going to be a marvelous illumination until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Blazing light going to fill our lives. And uh, not only is there an inward transformation, as it's talking about here, but also an outward transforming impact will be made on us as we receive glorified bodies. And so... He gets into verse 20. Hmm. It's 8 o'clock. I can't believe it. This is the part that I wanted to get to. I better close because I just can't cover this part. We'll start there next week. Very good. <laughs> Sounds good to you guys? What's that? <laughs> Let's just keep on going, right? We used to do that when we first started. We used to, way back when. I think we went to. Um, sometimes we just keep going till it was time for people to go to bed at midnight. <laughs> anyway, well, thank you guys for coming out. Well, we have. Uh, oh yeah. That's right.